gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. New Year, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to start our look at Martin Pascoe's run on Superman, a run that brought about a new level of excitement to the Superman books. However, the changes started a little bit before he got on the books when Jerry Conway came onto the Superbooks for, for a little while, starting with Action Comics number 457. In that issue, Superman revealed his secret identity to Pete Ross's son, John. Then, for the next two issues, Elliot S. Magan introduces WGBS rival UBC, which was the United Broadcasting Company, and its president, Samuel Tanner, who becomes the villain BlackRock. Meanwhile, Conway moved over to Superman with issue 301. That issue saw the start of a subplot involving the introduction of a new crime organization called Skull, which has moved into Metropolis to fill the void left by Intergang, which was taken down by Clark Kent during the four-part Man or Superman storyline from issues 296 to 299. Another subplot picked up from that storyline is the relationship of Lois and Clark. As you may remember, during the part of the story where Superman spent a full week in his Clark Kent identity, he not only stood up to Morgan Edge and punched out Steve Lombard, he also romanced Lois. Well, rather than just drop that to maintain the usual status quo, their relationship continues. Which adds to the drama whenever Clark has to slip away to change to Superman, although for the most part it usually involves... Clark doing something to upset Lois, and then by the end of the story, she apologizes and cooks him some beef bourguignon, or however you say that. Conway also introduces a couple of important employees of Star Labs, Dr. Jeanette Clyburn and her boss, Dr. Albert Michaels, who really despises Superman in that J. Jonah Jameson kind of way. Also, in the wake of the man or, or Superman, 
both Action and Superman started seeing more multi-part stories, with many more three- or four-part stories showing up in both titles. As for the creators, Magan would leave the books, citing editorial differences. You know, that old chestnut. And Conway would find himself busy with the whole DC explosion, such as creating Steel the Indestructible Man, and Firestorm the Nuclear Man, plus, you know, taking over JLA. So he was busy, so he kind of left the Superman books. Uh, Carrie Bates would become the main writer on action, and Marty Pasco would be given Superman. All of this plays into Pasco's run of the books. But before he begins his run proper with issue 310, he has a pretty cool little two-issue story in issues 305 and 306, which is where we're going to begin after just a couple of promos. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, Podcast Obsessed, got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Neymar and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Yeah, play it. Come on. Play it loud. Play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And ten out! Three, two, on the circus, <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, Peyton. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer, for Christ's sake! Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill her. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. 
shut up, you freak! Julius, you I say shut up! It's a man A man Two true freaks.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back. And have you ever noticed that Two True Freaks has actually become Two True Freaks and several not-so-freaky people? Hmm. Anyway. Superman number 305 had a cover date of November 1976. It was on sale August 9th, 1970, with a cover price of 30 cents. The title of the story is The Man Who Toyed With Death, written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Bob Oxner, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Our story begins on Friday the 13th at 5.45 p.m., when a figure clad in red and blue crashes into the Metropolis Coliseum, destroying it, then flies off across Metropolis. At 5.57 p.m., Superman flies into an office at super speed and changes to Clark Kent, and by 5.58, Clark is sitting at his anchor desk. After getting an earful from producer Josh Coyle about his tardiness, Clark begins the newscast at 6 o'clock, starting with the news of Superman's destruction of the Metropolis Coliseum, which confuses Clark because he was actually in his fortress, nowhere near the Coliseum. While he continues the newscast, we switch to the Coliseum, where we, fe- where we see former toy man Winslow P. Schott going through the wreckage. It turns out that just the other day, Superman himself had invited Shot to put his greatest toy inventions on display for an international inventor's exposition. But now, Superman has destroyed his life's work, and for that, Superman must pay. At 10.45 p.m. that same evening, Shot enters a high-rise apartment building on Metropolis's east side and greets the doorman by tossing him a frisbee with a razor-sharp edge, killing him. Next, Shot heads up to the apartment of Jack Nimble and goes through his closet until he finds what he's been looking for, Nimble's Toy Man costume. With proof of Nimble's identity, Shot replaces his alarm clock with a cuckoo clock of his design and then leaves. At 11 p.m., the clock cuckoos, and the bird inside exits the clock, extending its legs so it can walk across the room, and Nimble wakes up in time for the bird's steel hard stiletto's sharp beak to be, as the caption states, the last sight of Jack Nimble's miserable, godforsaken life. While this is going on, Superman is busy at the Coliseum, cleaning up the mess and rebuilding the building, all while thinking about how it hurts that despite all the good he's done, people would not only think he would do such a thing, but would also call for his arrest. So lost in his thoughts is our dear Action Ace that he isn't that it isn't until it is right up on him that he notices the giant toy man robot behind him. Then Superman is so shocked by the robot that it's able to kick him into the building, undoing some of the repair work he has just completed. After a brief battle, Toy Man realizes that he can't win here and now, so he tosses a chunk of rock at some innocent bystanders, diverting Superman's attention long enough for him to escape but not before vowing to destroy the mementos of Superman's career. Meanwhile, at Lake Champaquackanock, north of Metropolis, an odd, hulking figure in Superman's colors emerges from the water on a mission to find Superman. At 9.26 a.m. on Saturday the 14th, Jimmy checks in with Clark, reminding him that it's Man of Steel Day and that the parade is supposed to start at the Superman Museum soon. But after the events of the previous day, there are several picketers at the museum as well. 
This causes Clark to realize something. But before he can run off to change to Superman, and, you know, let us know what he realized, he runs into Steve Lombard. Since Edge wants Clark to cover the demonstration, and Lombard is supposed to do the parade telecast, he tells Clark that they may as well head down there together. But after a quick blast from heat vision causes Steve to lose his car keys, Clark ducks out for a quick change to Superman and flies off. At this point, Superman points out that if Toyman plans to destroy the, the mementos of his career, this would be the place to go. Which is perfect timing, since the Toyman robot crashes through the wall of the museum just as Superman lands inside. Toyman fires a ring of fire at Superman, which not only creates sonic vibrations, messing with Superman's hearing, but if Superman lets it hit the ground or reach an altitude greater than 10 feet, it will explode, destroying the museum and killing the people outside. So while Toyman starts destroying the displays, Superman does the hula hoop dance and also widens his stance to wider than the ring, then spins at super speed, drilling down below the surface, then uses super suction to pull in the dirt to fill in the hole he's made, which stifles the explosion, causing nothing more than a small tremor. As Superman emerges from the hole, he sees the Toyman robot exiting the museum, so he flies outside and uses the large Superman statue to destroy the robot. Meanwhile, cutting a path through the crowd is the creature from the lake, a creature identified as Bizarro. Superman is busy taking out Toyman, which he does just in time for Bizarro to knock him out with a right to the jaw. When Superman comes to, he's tied up by Bizarro's cape, unable to break loose which is actually odd. Seeing that Bizarro wants the duplicator ray, Toyman tells him that it doesn't work, but that he will only fix it if Bizarro kills Superman. And as the last caption says, it would be cliche to call the battle about to ensue the battle of the century, but what else would you call it, except perhaps the backwards battle for Bizarro world? And it erupts next issue, and Superman's life hangs in the balance. All right, my notes for this issue. First of all, the cover. It's its not a bad cover. Uh, it's not the best cover. It's kind of a simple cover. It's just Superman bashing the Toyman robot with the Superman statue. It's something we see inside. Uh, it's by Ernie Chan or Ernie Chua, depending on how you want to say it. It's inked by Bob Oxner, but it's just not... Eh, it's all right. Uh, but moving inside, on page two, I like how this page is set up to confuse the reader into thinking that it might really have been Superman who wrecked the building. Because, I mean, we see him bounce off the building, fly across the city, and then a couple of minutes later, Superman's entering the GBS. That's pretty cool. Page four. We're just four pages in, and we get a pretty grisly murder. And let me tell you, after, as someone who has read most... Not all, but most of the issues that take place between 1971 and this part of 1976, there aren't too many grisly murders. This this is kind of new. Page 5, and one page later we get another one. And thus the short career of the 70s toy man comes to a shocking end. Although, while he doesn't appear in comics anymore, I th he still has to show up in Super Friends Challenge of the Super Friends. Page 7. And now, Toyman has colored his hair from white to brown. Which, I guess in one way, does make him look younger, but still, it's kind of weird. They don't really explain it. I'm almost wondering if it's a color error they just went with. Page 9. Obviously, Pasco's having fun when he la names the lake 
Chappaquackanock. I'm sorry, Chappaquackanock. Very hard to say, and I'm glad we only go there a couple more times. Page 10. While it may be obvious that this would be Pizarro coming up from the lake, keep in mind that at this point it also could have been that sand Superman from Quarm. After all, he does return in the Superman versus Shazam treasury book from 78, so it's distinctly possible that it could have been him as well. And finally, page 13. Now, this is pretty humiliating. Superman is forced to hula to keep the firing going while Toyman destroys all his stuff. The internet would have had a fuel a fuel. The internet would have had a field day with this if it was happening today. That's all I'm gonna say. But let me tell you, overall, this is a pretty cool way to usher in a new era. We've got Superman's we've got two of Superman's older and sillier villains, and we're making them big threats. Toy Man, the original Toy Man, murders two people, including the 70s incarnation of Toy Man, and Bizarro takes down Superman. And while we're going to learn more about Bizarro in the next issue, Toy Man's return to the dark side is actually pretty organic. It's not just a spur-of-the-moment thing, and it, there's some more explanation for it in the next issue. And rather than ignoring previous continuity, it actually uses the previous continuity to set it up, such as the fact that Toy Man has already been has become a good guy and was helping Superman, in fact helped Superman take down the new Toy Man at one point. So the fact that they're actually building upon that instead of ignoring it is really cool. All this Plus, Swan and Oscar providing some exciting, great-looking art in this issue. I would say this is a pretty great comic. Um, I mean, it's no Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. But it's still pretty exciting. you got to admit, when you, he's given a great story like this, Swan does swing for the fences. But that's it for that issue, so I'm going to need to come back after a couple more promos, and we'll take a look at the next issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. <sighs> Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo Manzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you, an offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay, what is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay it to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. Some time has passed... And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. 
Bravo. God! How, how the hell did you find me? And how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com, and I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network, and in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean that I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age superman number 306 had a cover date of december 1976 an on sale date of de- of september 6th 1976 and a cover price of just 30 cents the title of this issue is the backward battle for the bizarro world with the same creative team as last time of writer marty pasco penciler kurt swan inker bob oxner and editor julie schwartz after we see bizarro punch superman out of the museum wgbs begins its coverage of the man of steel parade by cutting to steve lombard who brings us up to speed on pretty much everything that happened last issue by this point Superman has freed himself from Bizarro's cape, while he tries to figure out how Bizarro and his cape became stronger than they used to be. Superman finally knocks Bizarro to the ground and hits him with the statue, which seems to knock some sense into Bizarro, who explains that while he was in space, Bizarro World was destroyed by a meteor shower, before one of the meteors hit him and then everything went black. After a brief review of Bizarro's origins, Superman remembers that he and Batman once went to Bizarro World in the far future, so it can't have been destroyed. But while Superman has this epiphany, Bizarro heads back into the museum for the duplicate array so that he can create a new Bizarro World. Superman shows him that the duplicate array in the museum is just a mock-up for display, but Bizarro thinks that Superman is just trying to keep Bizarro lonely, and then surprises the Man of Steel by blasting him with his new ice vision power. By the time Superman frees himself from the ice, Bizarro is long gone. So Clark heads back to WGBS to see if he can dig up some clues, but Lombard pulls him into the editing room to show him the footage he got of the Superman-Bizarro fight. 
Meanwhile outside, Bizarro can't figure out why he can't find the Daily Planet building, because the last time he was in Metropolis was a Lois Lane issue cover dated 1967 before the Daily Planet became WGBS. But when he sees Lois inside the WGBS building, he busts in and grabs her. Hearing her scream, Clark lets loose a blast of super breath, then makes a super speed change, heading upstairs as Superman and leaving Steve covered in the film he was trying to show Clark. After Jimmy tells Superman what has happened, Superman speeds off, following Bizarro north to the Fortress of Solitude, where Superman keeps the real duplicator ray. But Bizarro doesn't have a cape to protect Lois from the Arctic cold and the friction of flight, so she's not doing very well right now. Bizarro leaves Lois on the floor, blue lips and all, to get the ray, allowing Superman to knock him around until Bizarro lets loose with a blast of flame breath. Using some of the chemicals in his lab, Superman's able to douse the flames and throw a compound on Bizarro's face, temporarily blinding the creature. So Bizarro flies headfirst into Superman, then grabs Lois and heads off. Next, Superman takes a moment to head out to space and arrange some meteors, spotting a cosmic cloud that apparently explains everything and then heads back to Earth after grabbing Bizarro's cape, or more specifically, to an island in the South Pacific. Below, Bizarro has created three Bizarro duplicates of Lois, but none of them were talking to him. At this point, Superman arrives and reveals that they are just robots, because while Bizarro was blinded in the fortress, he switched out the real Lois with a Lois robot, which is what he's been duplicating while the real Lois is still in the fortress recovering from frostbite under a special heat ray. Whew. When Bizarro goes to punch Superman, Superman is able to restrain him in Bizarro's cape, then flies back to Metropolis and retraces Bizarro's trip to the Superman Museum from Lake Chappaquacanonk. Swimming down to the lake floor, Superman punches the restrained Bizarro so hard and at the precise angle for him to crash into the Metropolis Coliseum, then ricochet off heading back into space until he hits a meteor near Bizarro World, at which point Bizarro sees that the planet is just fine. According to Superman's thought bubble, the cosmic storm that gave him his powers also created a mirage that made it appear that Bizarro World had been destroyed. Since psychiatrists apparently banish fears by forcing patients to reenact traumatic experiences, that's basically what he forced Bizarro to do. Back on Earth, Superman arrives at Winslow Shot's shop, where he's being escorted into a police car. Once Toyman realized that it was Bizarro that wrecked his toys instead of Superman, he pretty much gave up, and is now very sorry for what he's done. While Shot gets the psychiatric help that he so desperately needs, Superman rebuilds the Colosseum again, before finally returning to WGBS at 4.45pm, where Clark meets up with Jimmy and Lois, and they all have a good laugh over Steve, who is still trying to untangle the film that he has now been tangled up in for the past couple of hours. The End All right. Now the first of all, the cover on this one—it's still simple. The background's very simple. Uh, it does demonstrate Bizarro's new powers, but it's—I was hoping for more. They—they uh, they get better, but yeah. Anyway, page two. Uh, Percy Bratton crosses over from the Jimmy Olsen strip, which is pretty cool. See, the fun of having a Superman fan writing the stories is that he's able to use previous continuity to enhance the stories without messing things up. And since this is the era of the editor note, every time something like that happens, except for this case, uh, there's a little note to let you know what ha or where something happened, such as the fact that 
we haven't seen Bizarro for a while, such as you know the whole Toy Man thing and stuff coming up later on during Pasco's official run. It's pretty cool. Page eight, Freeze Vision from Bizarro. Introduced 25 years before Jeff Loeb would bring it back post-crisis during Emperor Joker. Same thing with the uh, Flame Breath, by the way. Page 9. Have you noticed that for the second issue in a row, Clark pulls a prank on Lombard without Lombard pranking him first, or really at all? It's interesting. Page 10. Lois finally shows up in the story, and by her third panel, she's getting kidnapped. Probably not her finest moment. Uh, page 12. Superman is so upset at Bizarro for hurting Lois that he attacks the creature rather than helping her. Interesting. Also, it's the first use of Flame Breath right here. Like I said, Jeff Lowe would bring it back during the Emperor Joker storyline in 2000 and... 2000, I think. Okay, and page 14. I'm not sure how the mysterious cosmic cloud was able to explain everything. I mean, it doesn't talk. And it might work as a possible explanation, but I don't know how Superman can prove that it's the cause of all of Bizarro's changes and created the mirage. I mean, on the other hand, it does explain it, but I don't know how Superman can be so sure. Because cosmic clouds can do a lot of different things. In fact, there's going to be... I believe there's an issue later on in his in Pasco's run in which he, Superman encounters another cosmic cloud that does very different stuff so i don't know uh, finally page 17 superman uh, superman toyman gives up after realizing it wasn't superman who destroyed his exhibit this again makes sense and the mental troubles do add a new dimension to his character so he's slightly crazy without having to kill any kids or you know talking to his mother all the time personally i just I like this change to the character. It seemed organic. It made sense. It didn't seem out of left field. I like it. Now, overall, while the newer version of Bizarro is cool, the explanations for these cha for his changes are a little more out of left field than the Toy Man changes. Having said that, I look forward to see what they do with him when he returns. Toy Man has mostly forgotten this issue, but the conclusion to his plotline is pretty satisfactory, uh, and it makes sense. I mean, there wasn't much else he was going to do, and it makes sense. They actually kind of explain why he disappears for the issue, because, you know, he kind of quit doing stuff once he realized it was Bizarro. Again, the art really completes the package here, but I know what you're thinking. Charlie, what about all that subplot stuff you brought up at the beginning of the episode? I mean... None of that stuff's touched on here. Well, that's true. But I brought it up in this episode because technically this is the start of the Pasco run. Some of the stuff from these two issues will get touched on upon later on. And a lot of the subplot stuff I mentioned before will be picked up on when he comes back in 310. But I wanted to point it out now at the beginning so you all had the full information of what was going on at the time in the super books since we've been jumping around for the past year and uh, now after this story there were three more issues written again by jerry conway in which supergirl tries to convince superman that he's a mutant rather than a kryptonian after he goes a little crazy in his attempts to stop pollution does it make a ton of sense 
Superman going a little nuts about the pollution is a little weird after not dealing it for so with or not dealing with it for so long. Uh, but by the end, everything goes back to normal, and the mobster that Skull has been have been trying to take out since issue 301 is finally arrested and jailed. After that, Marty begins his uninterrupted 25-issue run on Superman, starting with issue 310, which we'll talk about next time. Next up, Dave Weider presents DC Comics Presents number 7, featuring Superman teaming up with Red Tornado. Welcome to my all-new segment here on Superman in the Bronze Age, something that I am calling Dave Weider Presents. Here, we're going to be looking at Superman's relationship with the greater DC Universe through the ongoing team-up series DC Comics Presents. Now, as has been my custom, instead of starting at number one and going forward, I've selected team-ups that feature interesting characters to expand the DC stable of heroes a bit for you in the pre-crisis era. First up on the agenda is DC Comics Presents number 7, in which Superman teams up with Red Tornado to fight the Weaponers of Quard. To give you a bit of a primer, the Earth-1 version of Red Tornado is an android who actually ended up here from Earth-2. To simplify that a bit, he showed up on the Justice Society's doorstep claiming to be Ma Hunkle, the Golden Age Red Tornado. But our Red Tornado was built by T.O. Morrow to undo the JSA, but eventually defected to Earth-1's Justice League, where he fought alongside our heroes and strived to become more human. As his name implies, Red Tornado is able to create, wait for it, tornado and wind effects. It's no secret that I'm a fan of Reddy, as I have a tattoo of him on my right leg, and visually I think he's a very cool character while having all the compelling character traits of Star Trek The Next Generation's data. I want to note, Red Tornado massively predates Data, though, by almost two decades. The issue itself oddly picks up from the last one in which Superman teamed up with Green Lantern, the Hal Jordan version by the way, to fight the Star Sapphire. As far as the villains, these are weapon makers who exist in an antimatter universe, and they are responsible for creating Sinestro's power ring. Superman was ambushed by the weaponers at the close of issue 6, and this is where we pick up right after that with issue 7. Now this was the March 1979 issue that boasts a story entitled The Paralyzed Planet Peril. It was written by Paul Levitz with art by Dick Dillon and Frank Chiaramonte. And if you want to read along, this tale can be found in Showcase Presents DC Comics Presents The Superman Team-Ups Volume 1. And for those that like their chronology, this story takes place between Justice League of America issues 162 and 163. And our story opens with an unconscious Superman brought in by the Weaponers for the Machinations, and he comes too, giving a futile fight before being subdued again, and strapped to a huge crystal. The Quardians are using Superman and the crystal to create a Q-field on Earth, which will essentially paralyze every living thing on the planet, and allow the Quardians to forcibly establish new Quard. It works, and as the Quardians invade a completely paralyzed Earth, they are surprised to find Red Tornado still moving and opposing them. Since Reddy isn't organic, he is able to put up a solid fight and repel the Quardians back to their world, but he follows them. In the Antimatter universe, Red Tornado spots Superman and fights against a focused Q-field to whirl through the crystal and free himself. Despite a very real possibility that the act could kill him, Superman dispatches Red Tornado to disrupt the Q-field by altering the focusing lenses in space. Reluctantly, Red Tornado does so and succeeds, 
focusing the Q-Field back at Cord and the Crystal. This results in Superman being freed when the crystal overloads and explodes, and being Superman, we see that some of the Earthbound Cordians are given land in Australia to colonize and make their own, to the chagrin of the Cordians still on their home world. Of course, these Earthbound Cordians have been given a dose of super hypnosis, which is why they are peacefully coexisting, but Red Tornado looks upon this and thinks of having faith rather than relying on numbers and calculation. And the issue ends with Red Tornado pondering this concept as the day is won and the future is unwritten. There's much ado about faith in this issue, but that is kind of a hard thing for anyone to wrap their minds around, much less an android. It's not really faith in religion, that's not what I'm talking about, but faith in things that are outside of our control or faith in others. In this instance, Red Tornado was asked to take an action that by his calculations could have killed Superman. That is a challenging leap to take, especially when the life of a teammate is at stake, and beyond that, the fate of Earth as a whole. Speaking of, let's back off on the faith talk, we'll come back to that, but let's look at it in the context of the story. Superman is sidelined for pretty much the whole issue, and it kind of frustrates me a little. Right out of the gate, Superman's unconscious. When he does make a break for it, the lightning-shaped cue bolts take him down again. This is, at heart, Superman's book, and while I, I have that frustration, I also like that Red Tornado got a showcase. I don't like it that it was at the sacrifice of Superman sitting on the sideline for most of this issue. I don't know if that was a fair trade. But, say la vie, nothing to be done about it, and I can chalk that up to Superman playing a good host. Though it strikes me that when Red Tornado shows up, he doesn't get a caption box that kind of gives an explanation of who he is, and then it hits me that he doesn't need it. One thing his concept is straightforward, his costume is red, he's making tornadoes. And he fills in the blanks with his back and forth with the accordions, so you do actually get a good sense of Red Tornado in this. However, despite Red Tornado being up front, and despite my gripe about Superman being on the sideline, my biggest gripe is, what was the point of this? The Cordians trying to colonize Earth is goofy, because the idea that they're subduing an entire planet, and they plan on living there apparently like Will Smith and I Am Legend. It's hard to wrap my mind around. Are they going to go to the video store and rent videos talking to the frozen humans? I mean, can you picture a weapon or whacking golf balls off of an aircraft carrier? Okay, no, actually I can, okay? The real irony is that they're leaving Quard to reject the precepts of evil, which is like a religion for them that dictates their entire planet. And they're doing this by committing an evil act. And I think irony is wasted on these guys. But despite the uneven, almost nonsensical plot, the theme comes through in the end and it is a nice, small stepping stone for Red Tornado. He has to put his trust in Superman, and his reluctance to do so is out of concern for his friend. Likewise, the immobile Superman has to have some faith that this formerly villainous android-turned-Justice Leaguer can come through and overcome his programming once again to deliver a victory when everything is at stake. With themes like that and a righteously earned victory, things like the Cordian's plot making sense, and Superman sitting on the bench kind of pale in comparison. This is a full-on bromance, and both characters grow just a little bit as teammates by the end of this comic, which is kind of what you want from a team-up. It helps that Dick Dillon's art looks great from beginning to end, and Jerry Serpy makes sure that the colors actually accent and add to the story, which is important when you're dealing with a character where color is a part of his makeup, much less his name. Now, if you're interested in Red Tornado, the bulk of his adventures occur within the pages of Justice League of America, which can be found in the Showcase Presents. And there are a lot of ups and downs to his personal journey, which, to me, makes him such a great character and a great read. But, I have to say it. I have to say it. The clown pants, I'm glad they're gone. Because in this version of the costume, Reddy's legs had yellow stripes, making him look like he should be juggling at a kid's birthday party. Luckily, the stripes do get hidden when the tornado is in effect from the waist down, which is the bulk of the time, thankfully. However, if Red Tornado is sitting by the phone waiting for Superman to call... He's going to be there for a while because next time, Hawkman shows up. 
That is in DC Comics Presents number 11 in just two short weeks. Until then, this is J. David Weeder signing off for Monitor Duty. All right, thanks, Dave. And that's going to do it for this episode. Next time on an all-new episode, we'll take a look at Superman number 310 and 311, plus Superman teams up with Hawkman. We'll see you in two weeks, folks. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. 